Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and may I welcome you yet again to what is going to be a fantastic podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in paperback, ebook, and in the Kindle Lending Library. And for those of you who are into the audiophile gig, I have volumes two through six available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please help us with the show and help yourself to some cool listening about the Bigfoot creature. And without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, Kevin Sheehan. Kevin, come on in, brother. How are you? Hey, Bill. How's it going today? Super duper. As I told you, uh, we had winds howling up here yesterday at uh, close to 70 miles an hour in gusts. So it was just incredible. Yeah, we had some strong winds down here, too. But better to have winds howling than dog man howling. <laughs> 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 I don't even know what a dog man would howl like, but maybe it's I like... I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like the werewolf, you know? Oh, my god! That sounds like a good guess. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to mention something to you and the listeners before we get rolling here today. Uh, I'm going to ask everybody to go back and review the Patty film again when you have time. And the reason I'm asking people to do that is... Uh, take note of the fact that the creature never looks down when it's walking away the entire time it's being filmed. And the reason I mention that is, you know, for the people who think this was a monkey suit, and believe me, I'm not one of those people, but think about a big man in a cumbersome suit Walking in that area where this flood had ravaged the place, debris, rocks, uneven surfaces, logs. Uh, I don't know what was on the, on the ground over there, but I, when you look at the picture as a whole, you got to believe there was a lot of debris around there. No and, doubt, yeah. And this creature just walked the only time turning its head to look at the cam uh, to look at the guy filming with the camera. And then just kept walking off into the distance. And I thought that was remarkable. Now, you know, I've already said many times that, you know, from my perspective uh, as a therapist, 
having studied the muscles of the body and whatnot ad nauseum, I could see the musculature adhered to the skin layer uh, in that body as the creature moves along. So that, to me, that is an uh, undisputable selling point about what was going on there. I don't know any costumes that are adhered to the body in such a way that they could sh uh, show bulk muscles moving uh, in coordinated movements as a creature uh, flexes its thigh or extends the leg or steps forward or, you know, there's so much going on there that to me rings uh, true of this being a living creature that uh, the fact that it doesn't look down either was really uh, uh, pretty telling to me. And I'd encourage everybody to look at that film again, uh, thinking in your mind of what I just said, and tell me if you don't think that's true. Yeah, pretty cool. Some good uh, good insights there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, it's disturbing to me, the people that just, uh, you know, say, or the naysayers that just say, yeah, come on. It's just a guy in a, a monkey suit, you know. It's, it's just disturbing to me, that whole spiel, you know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I just wish, though, that, and like everybody else does, too, that there was, like, video that was as good as that, you know, sometime between when that was filmed and today, right? I mean, we see some great video, no doubt about it. Yeah. Right? Um, but... But when you think of the era and how that was filmed, then the quality of it is fantastic for that era. And then we really haven't seen anything as good as that um, between then and now. But we have seen some really good things. But I, I just wish we saw something else. You well, know. you know, maybe... Maybe we're on the cusp of it. Yeah, maybe it's coming, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, cool. I think what you have said rings true that with the advent of so many cameras, uh, that things are just going to pop up. I mean, oh yeah, between the trail cams, the web cams out on traffic cams, etc., and then everybody carrying a phone, almost everybody carrying a phone with a camera in their pocket too. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, we're here for the ride, so uh, whatever yeah, exactly. comes up, we'll be seeing it and reporting on it. Exactly. So what do you got today, bro? I'm sure you got something in your Felix the Cat bag of tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Felix the Cat. Remember that dude used to open up that little bag and he could pull out like an inflatable <laughs> raft out of it or something. <laughs> yeah, so uh, last week we did some pretty creepy cryptids with the uh, demonic goat man, yeah. right? And this week, we're going to go back to a legend that goes back in its documentation about 75 years. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to be in the United States, you know, and if you look at the cryptid world, Louisiana has the good old Rougarou. Of course, you know, the Pacific Northwest here has a Sasquatch, ton of Sasquatch. Last week, we learned that Maryland and other states have the Goat Man. But this week, we're going to talk about Alabama. And, Bill, do you know what Alabama has? Uh, I had never heard of this one until I started researching uh, it. How about the Sheep Squatch? <laughs> that, maybe you're thinking about the same thing, but it's called the Alabama White Fang. Oh, my God. No, I wasn't <laughs> thinking about the Alabama White Fang. No, no fang. This is thang. 
Kind of like oh the what thing <laughs> slang for thing. I thought you were talking about somebody with one tooth. No, that that might be in a different state. <laughs> we may come across that yet. <laughs> but apparently, you're supposed to spell and pronounce, uh, you know, thing as thang when you talk about the Alabama white thang. Well, let me tell you something. I always call the thang. <laughs> very good. Very good. <laughs> And Bill, I know, I know you know, but before we get started, I'll tell our listeners uh, that uh, I'm quite a big fan of the state of Alabama. You know, one of my kids went to college down there. I've been to many football games down in Tuscaloosa, so roll tide, all you Tide fans. Uh, big fan of the Dreamland Barbecue down there. Love Dreamland. And uh, one of my other kids went to space camp a couple of times in Huntsville, you know, where they have an awesome space museum, including some of the original Saturn V rockets, those giant rockets. So, you know, when I came across a while back the Alabama White Thang, I had to go a little deeper into this story. All right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that thang. Uh, oh, yeah. So here <laughs> we go. So, uh the legend of the Alabama White Thang, again, it's been around since the 1940s. And it's interesting, no matter where you read about it, they always talk about it or describe it as being present in the triangle formed by some grouping of towns or counties. So you might be like, Kev, what are you talking about here? But it's funny, like they, they, they're all, I had like the maps out and I'm writing down different notes and I'm like, everybody that writes about this talks about it in a tr being in an area of a triangle, but they seem to mention different towns or different counties that are all in the same area though. So they mustn't be reading one another's work. So it's kind of cool actually. Yeah, and it's interesting too that you mentioned triangle. Yeah, exactly. That this uh, terminology of triangle, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, the Alaska Triangle, uh, this Northeast Triangle that I told you I'd like to dig into at some point. And now you're talking about a triangle in uh, Alabama. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, you know, in this case, uh, we'll talk about the triangle being between Morgan, Etowah, and Jefferson County, so three counties. And when you look at these counties on the map in Alabama, they're along the Tennessee River, southwest of the city of Huntsville. So they're in the northern part of Alabama. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this area, you know, this is where people have reported seeing a creature that's more than seven feet tall. And as the name suggests, it's covered in white hair. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of the sightings are near and around or sometimes in a place called the Wheeler Wildlife Refuge. So this is a U.S. wildlife refuge that was set up, you know, back in 1938. You know, so pretty, pretty rural place uh, right there outside of Huntsville. Well, now, you know, big shout out to my buddy down there in Bama, Nate Bowling and his crew. Uh, this is an area that they... Uh, uh, hunt for Bigfoot, uh, mm. Tennessee River, uh, northern Alabama, that area. So it's kind of interesting to me that you're kind of in his wheelhouse today there with you this go. conversation yeah. about the white thang. So, Nate, tell us about the white thang. And if you can, <laughs> pick me up some Dreamland barbecue and send it up here. And let me tell you something about Nate and his crew. These guys <laughs> are armed for bear. 
<laughs> They're my kind of guys. You know, when I say always carry more gun than you think you're going to need, well, Nate's got them. Good job, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this giant white-haired covered beast, uh, it's known for, uh, it, it has like a very eerie screech or scream that sounds a lot like a woman's scream. So, you know, that's pretty creepy. Um, in another description, the, the author talks about it as having a scream sounding like that of a panther. But I do have to say, I didn't know that panther screamed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they step on a nail. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then it's also known as being able to move very quickly, which is very similar to Bigfoot, though, too, right? When you're... When you're seven feet tall and made out of muscle, you can you can get around pretty quickly. Well, you know, right off the bat, Kev, I mean, numerous encounters of Bigfoot are uh, white and gray. Yep. And also uh, the scream, uh, the terminology of uh, sounding like a woman being murdered. Yeah. Uh, the shrieking, like, you know, hideous scream of somebody, you know, being killed. Yeah. Uh, so you got two things there going in the favor. And of course, the height, seven feet. Oh, yeah. Big beast. Yeah. So so a lot of folks speculate that the white thang is actually an albino Bigfoot, you know, which is, you know, reasonable, I think, you know, and uh, or perhaps you like this bill, a large albino bear. You know, and of course, we've discussed this over the last couple of weeks. Apparently, if someone says they saw a Bigfoot, then, you know, most people think they were mistaken and they didn't know what a bear looked like. So, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just nonsense. You know, I mean, you said out of your own lips, there's no way I'm mistaking a grizzly uh, for a Bigfoot. It's like two entirely different uh, bodily structures, you know, their walk, their gait. I mean, there is nothing that looks like a Bigfoot. Right. Right. And then on some of the corner cases, uh, descriptions. So, you know, the, the uh, probably the old 80-20 rule comes into play here, where 80% of the sightings describe it as this, you know, white Bigfoot-like creature. But then in another 20%, they have these really weird descriptions. So believe it or not, you know, one of the descriptions is kind of like a, a, a giant lion that's white. Um, and another description is of something that's like a kangaroo white with a lion's head on it. Boy, that is really weird. Yes, yeah, super weird, right? Yeah, because uh, from all accounts uh, of Bigfoot, the head seems smaller than the body, the upper body. Right. And when you're talking about a lion, the head, if anything, is abnormally large for the body. I mean, that is like a real... Uh, uh, especially a male, you know, with the mane hanging off of it and everything. It just seems yep. huge. Yep, yep. And uh, like there's a sighting here, I'm going to read uh, an account here of one of those corner case sightings of like the lion-like thing. But it's kind of interesting. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So a uh, gentleman by the name of Peter Gossett wrote on the website Winston County History that his aunt... Uh, Fineda Martin Smith knew people who reported the white thang. Mm. So this woman, <coughs> excuse me, Smith told Gossett 
Old Man George Norris. Seen it over there in Enon Graveyard. Of course, you know, my commentary is, of course, he saw it in a graveyard. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where else would you see it? Not in your well, backyard. Yeah, where else are you hanging out? Yeah, hanging no. out in a graveyard eating a sandwich. Yeah, and he said it looked like a lion, you know, bushy uh, and a uh, betwixt a dog and a lion. So between a dog and a lion. It was white and slick with long hair. It had a slick tail down to the end of the tail, a big old bush of hair. So I guess kind of like the tip of a lion's tail. He leant up against a tree and fell asleep. So the gentleman fell asleep. When he woke up, the sun was just rising and the white thing was laying there right beside him and it was looking at him. He said it didn't offer to hurt him or nothing. (laughs) So could you imagine that? One, you're in a graveyard. You fall asleep in the graveyard. You wake up, you open your eyes, and you see this giant white lion laying next to you. Yeah, so now we're really into Forget about the original uh, discussion about seven foot tall and... uh... Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like 80% of them are the seven foot giant white albino-like Bigfoot. And then, but there are a lot of accounts there of this lion-like thing. And then if you could imagine a kangaroo-like thing with a lion's head. So either three people are BSing us or they're seeing three entirely different things. In oh, this, yeah. In I, think it's enti- I think it's a couple of entirely different things. Right, right. Um, but, it's, but I have to mention it because there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of material out there on it. So. Yeah. All on this white thing. And then another person, Madison Howard, on the website Small Town Myths, talks uh, and writes about uh, an interesting uh, uh, sighting as well or uh, account. So he says uh, that his great-grandmother talked about seeing a furry white creature that watched her hang up wet laundry on the clothesline from the woods. She described this encounter... Um, she, she, she described this encounter to my, my grandmother who described it out on to me. So kind of handed down from generation to generation. Okay. And he says, my great grandmother supposedly talked about this creature as if it were as common as a deer or a raccoon or any other animal. She was known as a serious, practical, no nonsense woman who would never make up any far fetched tales. Yeah, and it was, and he said he writes here. It is not uncommon for the older generations to talk about the white thing as if it were any other creature in the woods. Yeah, you know we hear this a lot uh, with these older, uh, sincere, God-fearing people sharing a story uh, that they've experienced. You know, a lot of these people lived relatively reclusive lives. Uh, houses being dispersed, you know, over many acres of land and people perhaps seeing each other infrequently. And when they stopped, they would talk about what happened, be it good, bad, or indifferent, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that was a time also, you know, when, uh, for the most part, unless somebody was deemed a lunatic, people were taken at their word. You know, you didn't laugh in somebody's face back then, I I would venture to say. No, I mean, you know, and and I think that's where you have the mention here, too, of, 
you know, it's a practical person that was not known for making up far-fetched tales. You know, yeah. of course, they had crazy people back then, too. So if it was a crazy person, they, they wouldn't go on telling the story. You know, they'd be more talking about how crazy somebody was, not what they were actually saying. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. No doubt about it. So, so this author writes that most of the reports of seeing this Alabama white thing are similar to Bigfoot encounters. So they're seen for a short amount of time, and then they're gone. Uh, sometimes they were seen deep in the woods by a hunter or a hiker, and other times closer to homes in neighborhoods. So you know it's pretty. Pretty interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then this author, Madison, goes on to talk about the, that there's also a great deal of folklore attached to the white thing. So, so he says, older Alabamians talk about seeing the white thing around funeral wakes, with some say saying that when they were a child, they knew they would see the white thing anytime someone passed away. Huh. So that's pretty interesting, right? Yeah, that's a real oddball thing, you know? Yeah. So then, you know, he writes that perhaps the white thang is an invention of the imagination, an omen or harbinger of death or bad luck. Maybe it was created to help make sense of the world long ago, passed down until it became part of the local lore. Or perhaps it's simply yeah, an albino black bear or albino cougar that's been misidentified you know but i would i would go that hey it could be an albino sasquatch too you know yeah well when you if we're talking about the original one with the height and the size yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, doubt yeah. about it uh, to me that other thing in the graveyard uh, you know, while, while <laughs> yeah, this guy's sitting around that. having a cup of coffee and a few cannolis from his local <laughs> Italian store, uh, you know, I don't know where this thing came from. Maybe there was something in those cannolis he was eating, if you catch yeah, my Yeah, it's, it's hard not to think that. Yeah. <laughs> something else in the thermos other than coffee. Yeah, can you spell LSD? <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, and then, you know, they talk about it in a lot of the accounts that the eyes of, uh, you know, again, talking about the Bigfoot-like creature, have like a reddish sheen to them, which that also lends itself to an albino. You know, I know here, down here in North Carolina, going back about probably 15 years ago, we had a white deer, an albino deer in our neighborhood. And uh, folks were talking about it and kind of like Bigfoot, you know, everybody's making fun of a couple of the neighbors that said they saw it, you know, not in a bad way, but just in a joking way. Like, oh, yeah, you know, when did you see that? You know, mm -hmm. were you coming back from the bar? <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah, uh, and then one morning I was out in the front yard doing some work around the yard and I saw it across the street, you know, big, full grown deer, snowy white with the pink eyes, you know. And you saw True. the eyeballs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, Kev, because maybe two years ago, uh, coming home uh, at night, there was an albino deer standing with a couple of other deer right around the corner from my house. And I, I, it was like a double take, like, what? You know, I couldn't really believe what I was looking at. Now, this particular albino had a couple of little streaks or small patches of, like, what appeared to be gray. Okay. But for the most part, this was a full-grown deer that was, you know, like an off-white color. Yeah. Well, maybe it was just a little dirty, you know. Could be, yeah. Needed a bath. 
Yeah, needed a shower, you know? And, of course, yeah. I told Danny about it. You know Danny, Kev. He wanted to bang this thing out and hang it on a wall. <laughs> well, that's what they say, though, too, is that there's, there's uh, you know, a number of these white deer are born every year, these albinos. But, of course, they don't last too long, right? Because not much camouflage, uh, at least around here. We're not snow-covered too much. You know? Yeah, no, but I never saw an albino uh, head mounted, you know, in the form of a buck or anything. Yeah, that's true. So. That's true. So then I'm going to wrap up here with a funny story. Um, so so they actually, the white thang is so popular down in Alabama, there's a Facebook page dedicated to the white thang. So I was there exploring around doing my research. And this story came up on uh, January 30th, 2017. And a woman named Teresa Dobbins Marshall wrote it from Gadsden, Alabama. And she writes, I'm going to read it to you. It's not too long, and it's it's fun. Uh, here's a funny, funny but sad story about my white thang. My mama saw it in the 40s, and I was born 1957. When I was six in 1963, we lived up past, oh boy, here we go, Nakalula Falls. My mama had never forgot seeing that thing and was terrified at night. My dad got put on third shift at the Goodyear plant. Daddy was in the Army in World War II, so he had guns. One was a German Luger that fired nine nine millimeter shots nonstop. Hmm. Good little stopping weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like the old Luger. Lugas. <laughs> so Mama was told that the gun was never to be touched. Then one sticky hot summer night, we heard sounds. Fan got turned off to listen better. We sat under the window, sweat pouring into our eyes, listening. It got close enough. She closed the window and put the stick in to lock it. Man, it was hot. She made me and my sister get under the bed. Mama walked the floors going from window to window. All of a sudden, we heard her scream, It's here! God save us all! The white thang is here! Then, bam, 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 nine times, she hollered, I got it! I've killed the white thang! Praise Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> well, well, back then, our neighbors looked out for one another. Cars came flying in, men with guns. My mama was out on the front porch, hysterically screaming, I've killed the white thing. <laughs> the men were so scared, they walked together, guns at the ready. Sure enough, there was a large white thang laying dead with blood all over it. They pulled the cars around for the light to see it better. It was, are you ready for this? Our neighbor's prize bull had got his horn stuck in the white sheet mama had on the clothesline. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm still laughing out loud at this one. Praise Jesus! <laughs> so get this. And it says, Poor man just said, The white thang lives! Old blue, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did it as $1,500 prize bull with a luger in the back. Old blue, old blue got nine slugs. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, we laugh now, but on that night, we were terrified. <laughs> Daddy locked the Luger up, and she says, she hit old Blue nine times. 
<laughs> and he, daddy often, daddy also offered to pay for the bull. The neighbor said, no, sir, he was on your property. Was a hell of a night that will live in my mind forever. Oh, 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 oh man alive. So I, I uh, thought that was just awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if they made that up, they did a great job. With hey, it. you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I doubt it though. It's pretty funny. Yeah, no, that was hysterical, man. Yeah. That bull caught up in the sheets. <laughs> she's, she's cracking off rounds like a freaking Nazi in a hedgerow. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine the guy coming up and saying, White Fang lives. Old Blue don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness Woo, I gotta take a deep breath after that one man I can't get the smirk off of my face Yeah oh, so we had super creepy last week And a little funny this week so. Nah that's good stuff The white thang <laughs> Well alright then Well I don't have a, right, a white thang here But this is one of the most interesting And detailed uh, accounts That I think you're ever gonna run across and uh, it came to me by way of a fella named Danny Sheehan, which, by the way, is no relation to me or Kevin. Hmm. And I'm going to read to you uh, what Danny had to say about his encounter. Now, some people have been emailing and saying, you know, uh, uh, how about some guests, this and that? You know, which is, it's not, a, it's not an unusual request. But I think my brother and I are both in agreement that we've listened to a fair amount of uh, people speaking about Bigfoot encounters that are virtually unlistenable. <laughs> I think you'd agree with that, Kev, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a balance, you know, like right. um, it, there is there is some merit to, uh, you know, the idea of having a guest. And we might add a guest now and then in the future. But yeah, I mean, I've I've listened to some stuff where I'm like, I can't listen to this guest anymore. Yeah, and I'm in total agreement with him. And really, folks, this is why I have all of these accounts uh, set down in a way that I could read them relatively concisely, getting to the point, inclusive of the details as best as uh, uh, I see fit. And uh, anyways, let me move on with this account here. So Danny said... In retirement, my uncle uh, had moved to Rutland County in Vermont. Having been employed as a graphic artist for most of his life, he also dabbled in watercolor painting as a hobby for an equally long period of time. Being a city boy for most of his life, he would head to the country whenever possible in search of some interesting subject matter to paint, with his favorite themes being fly fishermen, covered bridges, old farmhouses, and boats. He not only painted fly fishermen, but was totally taken to the hobby himself. I would go to visit him periodically in order to fly fish with him, and within the immediate surroundings of his area alone, there were many great places to fish for brook trout. It was a veritable potpourri of fly fishing pleasure. On this particular day, we headed to a place where we had fished several times in the past, it being my uncle's favorite spot to fish, and with good reason. Not only was the fishing superb, but this location was some of the most beautiful Vermont property that you will ever set eyes on. 
While I had fished on the rocky bank of this creek several years before, my uncle had been on the other side of the creek with an easel using me as a model for a painting. And I have this painting in my home to this very day. We were near a town called Wallingford and were fishing a body of water known as Otter Creek. He knew a gentleman who owned an old farmstead that this creek passed through, and it was the combination of the man's property and outbuildings in conjunction with the shape and natural design of the creek in this area which made it such an outstanding location. I will do my best to bring you into this picture. The original owner of the farm had been, or the original owners of the farm had been cheesemakers and created what we now know as Vermont cheddar. I would say that the acreage was about 40, give or take a few, and there was a large farmhouse that sat in the middle of the land, as well as two very large unpainted and well-weathered barns. When you looked out over the farm from the elevation of the house, it was mostly cleared, rolling, terraced land, aside from a few trees that had been left for shade and aesthetics. It was comprised of a number of large sections, which were separated from each other with split-rail fences and gates. This allowed the cows to graze in certain areas, while allowing the grass to grow back. This terraced land rolled down to the edge of the creek where we were standing, with the creek itself being maybe 40 feet wide at this point, including its rock-strewn banks. Now, if you were to stand on the western side of the creek, your back would be to the farm. And if you crossed over to the eastern side, your back was now against a steep embankment that had trees of many shapes and sizes growing on it. The creek itself had grayish-colored, sharply-angled stones on both sides of its bank, as well as being within it, some weighing hundreds of pounds, and most of the larger stones within the river had fish hiding behind them. For the most part, the creek was about a foot deep, but there were also some smaller, deeper pools within it. The day was overcast and gray, which I prefer over bright sunlight for fishing. So for me, it was perfect. There was not another soul in sight, and we had permission to be there by the owner. And he was away on a Christian mercy mission in South America. Being a doctor by trade, he and a medical team occasionally donated their skills and time to help others who are less fortunate than the rest of us, and so we were alone, tucked down into this creek. For those of you who don't fish, there are times when fishermen laugh and joke around, but most of the time is spent in silence and solitude. We had been quietly working the creek for two to three hours, when we heard a large splash on the water that came from somewhere around the bend. I saw my uncle look in the direction of the splash, but we kept on fishing. Moments later, we heard a couple of more splashes in quick succession, as we quietly began to move together towards the sounds, exchanging a couple of quiet words and wondering what might have made the noise. A splash always gets the utmost attention from a fisherman. It doesn't matter if you are in the bay, 
the ocean, lake, river, or creek. A fisherman always wants to know what's splashing and why. So the two of us began to stealthily creep along the bank. We both were hunched over, trying to catch a first glimpse under some tree branches. All of a sudden, I saw a long, dark arm reach down and hit the water with a splash. And my uncle reeled backwards and almost fell. He turned and mouthed to me, It's a damn Bigfoot, and waved for me to move backward. We must have retreated about a hundred yards away, moving to a a point far beyond where we had begun. And for additional protection, we crossed to the other side of the creek and climbed up the farm's first grassy berm to a point where we were about 15 feet or so above the creek. Slowly, we started to make our way to a place where we could see the creature, doing our utmost to use some bushes and small trees as cover. Finally, we reached a favorable position and hunkered down to observe its movements. We were further away, but we could see even more now than we had seen from the creek. This Bigfoot must have been so preoccupied with trying to grab a trout that it didn't stand a chance of noticing us. He was bent over, staring at the water without taking so much as a single break to look away. We watched him try to grab a trout at least 20 times without success, but he just kept trying. This thing was determined. Now, just in case you don't know, trout are extremely slimy, and this slime acts as a protective coating. It's generally only after a good fight that you are able to cradle them very gently in your hand and take the hook out of their mouth. No matter who or what you are, the act of grabbing one while it was swimming is nearly impossible, hence the creature's obvious frustration. We must have watched for 45 minutes. Still, it hadn't had any success in catching a trout. Finally, it looked up, surveyed the area briefly, and turned, climbing up the steep bank in three steps, And having reached the top, it walked away out of our sight. The bank that it had climbed must have been about 15 feet tall and was on a very steep angle. When the monster had been standing next to this embankment, it had been well over half the height of this slope, and it took three strides up this steep embankment without using any hand grabs before it was gone over the top and out of sight. It was absolutely out of this world. It was only once the thing was out of our sight that we began to talk quietly. When I had initially seen the arm come into view, I thought that it had to have been five feet long. It turns out that my uncle had seen the head and upper body at the same time, and that I had seen the extended arm so he knew what the thing was way before I did. Its hair had some rusty colored undertones to it, and I think that if the sun was shining, we would have been able to see even more reddish hues. The hair was actually very long, and on some areas of its body, in particular the head, I would say that it was 10 inches or so in length. It hung off the back of its arms as well. 
The head was shaped somewhat conical, but not pointy. And the upper part of the skull stood out much prouder than ours. Its face was much flattened, and the jaw protruded well beyond its nose. Its facial skin was also very dark and deeply furrowed. In fact, the wrinkles were so deep that they appeared as painted black lines on the face and brow of the creature. I would estimate its weight at about 1,500 pounds. The beast's back was five times as thick as those of the most massive weightlifters that you've ever seen in your life. I would venture to say it could probably snap a baseball bat in half with just its fingers. When we had briefly caught a back view of the creature, it appeared to me that its triceps were maybe 12 inches wide and perhaps even more than that. Now, try standing in front of a mirror while holding a ruler next to your arm and visualize what I just said. When we saw it take three steps up the embankment, its legs were obviously flexed to the maximum, with the thigh muscles having bulged to the point where they looked to be two feet thick. The body strength that would be needed to make this motion so quickly and without grabbing so much as a branch would be off the charts in the human realm. But this thing is in no way a human being, nor is it our mutated offspring. This is some type of animal. I remember seeing a film clip of a grizzly bear running down a deer on a mountain slope. This grizzly was booking, and its musculature was all business. When I watch a deer get spooked and run on my own property, it's incomprehensible that anything else could catch it. And yet, this 1,500-pound grizzly had the wherewithal to do so. It was all so real, and yet so unreal at the same time. I know you get it, but when you are there seeing it with your own two eyes, it's only then that the legends can ring true and become part of your reality. Hmm. Pretty bizarre, huh? Really bizarre. Again, you know, you got the fishermen running into the hairy man, not atypical, right? Right, because once again, it, it just proves out my point. Most of the people seeing these things are out there doing things that are, are a little unusual for, for society at large. You know, they're in Vermont. They're on a piece of property owned by another man in this isolated creek. And bingo, here comes this Bigfoot splashing in the water trying to grab a trout. Yeah, and they're quiet too, right? Like sure. you were talking about that. Sure. Sure. They, he said they had already been fishing for two or three hours. Right. So this thing, they're in silence. They're in uh, the groove. They're settled into their spot. Right. And uh, this thing's coming along looking for something to eat. Right. Doesn't suspect them. It's got a high bank. They're around a bend. And they hear the splash, you know. So he probably thought it was a, a, a trout snapping at a mayfly or something. Yep. And they started to creep around quietly, you know. I mean, I've done some fly fishing. You're trying to be as stealthy as possible, you know. Yep. Definitely not stomping through the water like Bigfoot. <laughs> not if you want to catch anything, at least. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you, fish. <laughs> I'll kick you out of the water. <laughs> oh, I'm man, that's a good one now. And again, the size of the creature comes into play, you know, with the detailed description. Yeah, and how about the creature 
go, he describes it as being a 15-foot-tall bank behind him. Hmm. And the creature took three steps up the bank with nothing to grab on. Hmm. That's, like, really weird, you know? Yeah, and that, that falls into the uh, moving quickly category. Yeah, well, I mean, I, if you took if you climbed up 15 feet in three steps, that would mean that each step would have to be about, what, four to five feet upwards. Mm. And not taking into account maybe your foot sinking in the sand or losing some of that height each time you stepped and put Absolutely. your weight on it. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be like me bringing my foot up to my uh, nipple line on my chest, you know? Yeah. So it's crazy. Climbing. Yeah, not likely. Not likely for me. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just uh, crazy. And once again, you know, the massive conical head, uh, massive uh, description of the musculature of this thing. He's talking about looking in a mirror and holding a ruler by your arm. Uh, you know, a foot thick at the triceps. That's like, what? You know, I mean, yeah, massive, cool. monstrous creature, you know? Yep. Anyway, so that's my account, brother. And up in rural Vermont again. Yeah, well, you know. Good place, good place to see the hairy man. Not much up there. Yeah, have a piece of cheese and uh, get torn apart by a Bigfoot. What could be yeah, better than that? Maybe a micro brew and uh, and a piece of cheese. There you piece go. of cheese, and then the white thing comes down the river. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. The giant cheese head white thing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. A Sasquatch with one of those, uh, you know, Green Bay Packers cheese heads on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, what? Making- I'm just a Packer fan. Yeah. What are you making fun of my cheese head for? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we got some good uh, listener mail this week, Bill, from all over the place, as usual. Excellent. Um, First one comes in from Ty, and Ty calls himself the Tennessee Superfan. Wow. And uh, Ty said, first off, thank you both for taking my request to revisit the Dead Falls Lake Affair. So we did that last week, and that's definitely a cool, uh, or that was two weeks ago, I guess. That's definitely a cool um, cool play there. So you're welcome, Ty. He said, with being sick and only listening to your podcast while I'm at work, you guys definitely gave me more motivation on this Wednesday to come back to work. <laughs> Be prepared to hear more from yours truly, because my wife needs a break from all of my Bigfoot talk. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the trailblazing with the podcast and Godspeed, my friends. Ty. Uh, Ty, my advice to you is if you've got a nine-round clip Luger in your drawer, you best move it because your wife may be using it on (laughs) you. You'll be the latest victim of the white fangs. (laughs) Some some fact there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's really cool, and it's all pleasure, Ty, you know. Uh, occasionally we'll do a repeat because uh, there are people out there who never heard the story and may not listen to all the shows from day one. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and that, and like as long as they're spread apart by a good distance, you know, Bill and I have different insights on the account as well. You know, different commentary. Yeah. Um. So so that was cool. Very, very cool. cool, Ty. And we appreciate you listening and tell your friends. 
Yep, no doubt about it. It's good. Thank you, Mr. Tennessee Superfan. Superfan. I want to hear from some of those Alabama Superfans now that we <laughs> talked about the white thing. <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> All right, the next uh, one comes in from Matthew. And uh, he says, hey, guys, I'm up here in Booth Bay, Maine. And I have been binging your podcast during my early morning work hours. Hours. Mm. I love what you guys do, and I think it's amazing to hear so many other people's stories across the ages and states and continents. I have not personally seen a Bigfoot, but I write you in order to share a thought. When you consider symbols, such as the Yeti for Yeti coolers, all the way over to the Sasquatch, in the Jack Link's commercials, which are hilarious, he writes. Yeah. <laughs> and compare those symbols to the imagery from actual sightings. It would seem that Bigfoot is so present in everyday American consciousness that we even seem to have a singular understanding of what the hairy man looks like that is strikingly similar and accurate. I also wanted to recommend the International Bigfoot Museum in Portland, Maine. If hmm. either either of you have not been there yet, keep up the good work. So a little shout out to the Bigfoot Museum in Portland, Maine. I haven't been there yet, but I love Maine, and I will definitely swing by next time I'm up there. And he does raise a good point where, you know, you can look at an image of a Yeti or a Bigfoot, and probably universally in our society, someone would know what to call it, right? Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, so pretty, uh, pretty interesting point. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, and you know what? This Bigfoot Museum up there, were you aware there was a museum there, Kev? I wasn't, but, um, you know, I haven't even been yet, but I'm going to get there soon to the one in North Carolina, pretty big one in North Carolina. My daughter's been to, and uh, she bought me a couple of things from there, which are pretty cool, mm -hmm. uh, including uh, a T-shirt and a sign that I have hanging on the wall here and a little Bigfoot doll. <laughs> so good, good Bigfoot merch. <laughs> is that is that a what thing doll? It's not a white thing, but <laughs> it's a new idea for the folks at the museum. Yeah, no, and that's cool, Matt. And uh, thanks for chiming in with us. And uh, hopefully you'll survive your wife's on onslaught, uh, <laughs> continually listening to Bigfoot 24 hours a day. There you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, so our next note comes in from Sandy with an I in Ohio. And she says, Bill, she only mentions you, Bill, so uh, I don't know what to think there. I won't, I won't think too much of it. But she says, <laughs> Bill, love the show. Would love to hear more about your, your angels encounters. So that's pretty cool. You know, once in a while you talk about on the show, Bill, how you have run into an angel or two. And uh, Sandy from Ohio, that has nothing to say to me, would like to hear more about it at some point. Yeah, and you know something, Sandy? I might as well uh, come out of the closet, so to speak, and tell you and some of the other listeners, uh, without getting overly religious in my conversation with the audience about what happened and why it happened, but a number of my angelic uh, encounters were in the form of what I will call a rebuke. Uh, those of you who are around uh, Christian circles understand what the term rebuke means. 
which basically is getting to the point that you're not living right and somebody comes to take you away and say, now do we understand each other? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like, kind of like dad taking you out to the woodshed and uh, squaring away his desire for you to change. A little intervention of sorts. Yes, yes. So uh, 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 three of my encounters, I'm sad to say, uh, were of that ilk uh, in the form of almost a punishment for uh, uh, a need for a lifestyle change. So Hmm. I'll leave it at that. Maybe someday I'll share some of them. Uh, but a lot of them were more of a personal nature, uh, which is why I don't speak speak of them. Yeah, that's reasonable. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's where I'm at with that, Sandy. But nevertheless, uh, whether people believe me or not, it doesn't change what happened to me. Uh, and I'm here to tell you and everybody else listening that angels are real and demons are real. And uh, you may have to contend with one or both of them at some point in your lifetime. So just keep that in the back of your head when you're living your life. Yeah. Be mindful of that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole nother world that exists while we're walking around uh, hunting for the Watt thing with our Luga. <laughs> uh, you, you may bang off a shot at an angel and he may not be too happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the same can be said for Goat Man, too. (laughs) I pity the fool that shoots me. All right, we got two more uh, mail, pieces of mail that came in. First one is from Jose in Mexico. He says, hey, guys, love the show. How about showing a little love to the Chupacabra? So we haven't covered him, that that good old cryptid. Uh, encrypted it in the news yet, but it is uh, on the list. So, Jose, he may be coming up in the near future for yeah. a little bit of love. Yeah, maybe he's laying next to somebody in a graveyard. <laughs> what a nice little chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. All right, yeah, and our I- last note this week, Bill, is uh, from Bobby in Nevada. Bobby with a Y. He also says, love the show. On the cryptids front, what about the Loch Ness Monster? What do you guys think of that cryptid? So I don't know, Bill, what do you think of a Loch Ness Monster? Well, you know, again, I think it's legit. And uh, that goes back to, again, uh, we revisit, you know how we were talking about the woman being stated as being a credible uh, a no-nonsense witness when we were talking about the... Uh, oh, the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Y- you know, the original accounts of the first or second sightings of the Loch Ness Monster were brought, both, brought forth by some real legit people uh, that wouldn't be... You remember, Kev, uh, a, a couple of months ago, we were talking about Napoleon Bonaparte's brother, Joseph... Yep. Uh, being a witness yep. uh, to the Bigfoot. And then we were talking about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and, you know, the list just goes on and on. But just because you're not uh, a member of royalty or a future president, 
uh, doesn't mean that you can't be deemed a credible and upstanding witness and or citizen uh, having testified of seeing something. No doubt. Yeah. And t- to me, the first couple of encounters with the Loch Ness uh, uh, rang true to me and legitimate. Now, where this thing is and why it isn't see- being seen, I mean, I'm a fisherman. Uh, you're not generally going to see fish. Uh, how often have you ever seen a shark, Kev? Yeah, just a couple of times, but that's good enough for me. But, I mean, your point is, like, the the ocean or the the lock, in the case of the Loch Ness Monster, I think that thing is thousands of feet deep, by the way, yeah. as I recall. And, you know, you how often does something actually break the surface of the water for you to see it? Or how often does it break the surface of the water and you happen to be looking for it? So first off, it has to be daylight hours. Right. And second off, you know, it's got to be in a place where people are looking. So it, it's pretty rare, you know. And I personally, I have an easier time believing that these creatures, these unknown creatures exist under the sea or in these very, very deep bodies of natural, uh, fresh water. Um, it's easier for me to believe that they exist than sometimes that some creature would exist on the land that's unknown. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just completely unknown and unexplored. So why not? So yeah. we'll we'll look into Nessie. And by the way, there's a couple of other uh, uh, you know mysterious sea-bound creatures, uh, cryptids that uh, are less well known than Nessie that we're going to look into as well. Yeah. Also, you have Champ Champ up in Lake Champlain. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he's another similar, this plesiosaur-looking creature. Yep. And and one of the best-known sightings of Champ was on basically a, a day tour boat of sorts with like 30 or 40 people on it. Yep. And they're standing around the rails, enjoying the day, having a martini or a hot dog, whatever they're doing. Yep. And blam, there's this creature, and everybody's like, holy cow, look at that, it's Champ. Yep. You know, so... No, they all saw a bear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was a bear. Yeah, Maybe swim, a squirrel. Swimming bear in a wetsuit <laughs> with a snorkel. <laughs> well, if you don't know what it is, Bill, it's a bear. It's a bear. Even if you think you know what it is, you're probably wrong, and it's a bear. <laughs> well, all that's right, excellent. All right, folks, so... so um, before I hand it back to my brother, I uh, just want to thank you. Been getting great reviews. I'm going to ask you again, you know, if you like what you're listening to on your favorite podcast player, just click it and give it give it five stars. Uh, the most important thing about that is you bring more listeners to the podcast, and that helps us to uh, continue and even improve the quality of the entertainment that you receive. So thank you for your great five-star reviews. Awesome. And also, folks, please remember, you're buying one of my books for yourself or for a friend really helps us out. So please do take advantage of that and you'll be uh, deemed as a good supporter of the podcast. And as we cut the ties yet again for another day, may I remind you, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.